Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, a long road ahead on artificial intelligence and data at DOD. Is there a long way to go? Absolutely. Do we still have data problems? 100%. We have total data jackass right there right now. And so they have a lot of work to do. And the decision-making process to tackle some of government's oldest legacy technology. We're looking at what are the biggest impacts we can do without having to tear the house down and build the foundation. It's Tuesday, December 7th, 2021. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. The Defense Department would get $100 million to keep its innovation programs going, according to a plan from the ranking Republican on the House Appropriations Defense Subcommittee. Representative Ken Calvert says the money would help companies cross what the department calls the valley of death, the time between when they make investments in production and the government pays them for what they deliver. Calvert's plan, similar to one the Undersecretary of Defense for Research and Engineering, Heidi Hsu, supports. The Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency has an April deadline to build a strategy for automating the collection of cyber data from agencies. The memo from the Office of Management and Budget gives CISA a December 2022 deadline to begin the automated collection. OMB and the National Institute of Standards and Technology will help CISA on both the strategy and the collection. You can read more about all these headlines and lots more stories at fedscoop.com. The Defense Department's looking at consolidating oversight of its artificial intelligence and data efforts. That decision process is happening as the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center is preparing new ethics guidelines for AI. Rear Admiral Donnell Barrett, U.S. Navy retired, is former Deputy Chief Information Officer of the Navy, former Director of Current Operations, U.S. Cyber Command. She's author of Rock the Boat, Embrace Change, Encourage Innovation, Be a Successful Leader. Danelle, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. What do you see here as the strategy behind some of these moves that are happening in the department regarding AI and data? Welcome. Hi, thanks a lot for having me, Francis. Yeah, it's a great time to be in this business. And I think AI will have a lot of opportunity to shine in DOD if we get it right here. Um, as you talked about, there's there's been a push to um, get the ethics of AI, for one thing, under control and kind of set some standards there. And, and DOD, uh, US DOD was actually the first military in the world to set out an ethics document to do that. There was a memo last May 26th um, that was uh, implementing responsible AI in the DOD. And it laid out basically five tenets that said, hey, your AI needs to be responsible, equitable, traceable, reliable, and governable, among other things, um, because there has to be some boundaries to how we manage the AI. And so um, it's really important to think about it in terms of, um, you know, Congress is supporting it with with funding and things like that. So you see Representative Elise Stefnik, um, she um, uh, supported uh, AI inclusions in the National Defense um, Authorization Act. And we saw actually uh, out of 2019, I don't know if you remember this, Francis, but they had the National Security Commission on AI mm-hmm. came out with a bunch of recommendations. About 17 of those got funded by Congress. So they're really interested in getting this right and putting R&D money into it, which is a little different in the past 10 years, 15 years. You know, the government has kind of pulled back from R&D money and said, hey, industry, you do the R&D. But in this case, they're putting money into it to the tune of like $32 billion by the end of 2026. And one other thing I'd like to mention is they're really pushing for a lot of where you can have dual use AI, 
Um, you know, Congress sees AI as uh, a dual use product. So you could, for example, do military readiness and readiness for logistics and shipping or, or um, commercial uh, transportation. You could use it for cybersecurity in both realms. You could use it for um, healthcare, tracking things like COVID, but also military healthcare. So any of the ones that are dual use are obviously getting Congress's attention. And when it comes to the governance that you talked about, um, you've heard General Call recently, the chairman, or the J6 on the joint staff come out and say how they're managing it. They had looked at maybe setting up like a PEO office to do it. And then they said, well, now maybe we'll get one service to take the lead. And none of that seemed to be the best way to do it. So they stood up a cross-functional team, which they envision will be around for about three to five years to get us through this transition about how the AI pieces are implemented and how they're funded and the acquisition works. And they've done some really good work where they um, have set up um, under the Jake, the Joint uh, Artificial Intelligence Center, um, uh, General Groen, they've set up uh, the Tradewind uh, concept, which is both a platform where DOD could find their AI tools and get curated AI data to use in their AI algorithms and contract vehicles. And it's also um, the concept of how to get people together, coalesce on one place to help them move forward with their AI faster. I don't have you ever driven a stick shift to know the reason I ask is because <laughs> yeah see this so okay good so what it feels like to me where we are right now with artificial intelligence is it feels like we've been shifting through first second third gear and we're about to shift into fourth gear in the defense department am I am I reading that right it's because we've got that yeah. activity we've got the finally all of the services seem to be on board not just at driving toward JADC2 but really being full partners in it, it it's just a so many different things going on and it seems like we're ready to hit fourth gear and, and really hit the gas pedal. Yeah, I would say that's true. And um, the thing that I would say that supports that is, you know, you talked a little about JATSE too. That's the joint all domain command and control system, essentially. So it's how we would tie together all of our information sources, including sensors, machine to machine, internet of things data, analyst data, structured unstructured data, all this together so that we can have improved uh, situational awareness, decision-making faster, and sensor-to-shooter faster at the tactical edge. Now, we've been working on that problem forever. I mean, since I got in the Navy 30 years ago. I mean, that is not a new problem. That's not new in how to work it. And the data is always the crux to the problem here. You know, interoperability of data, interoperability of systems, and systems of systems approaches. So, so when you look at each of the services, though, um, they've taken a very strong um, approach to defining that within their services, getting their arms around within their services. So in Navy, you have Project um, uh, Overmatch, Army, you have Project Convergence, you have the Advanced Battle Management System in Air Force, and all of those are reporting up or coordinating with this JADC2 cross-functional team to make sure that we're doing things that are going to be joint and um, not just joint, but coalition too, because think about, you know, we're not going to do this in a vacuum, you know? And when you look at, you talking about going to fourth year and pushing it hard, if you look at some of the stuff that NORAD Northcom has done recently with regard to AI and actually doing AI um, experimentation in some of their um, global information dominance experiments, they've had three of those now, the latest one in the summer took it to the next level, even where they were tying together systems um, that can share information using AI for better decision making. And so you're seeing that the use of these software tools and, and cross-functional collaboration, I mean, that exercise alone had 11 co-coms involved in it, you know, all the combatant commanders. I mean, that was a significant um, effort. And then they have their matchmaker effort, which is designed to create options for that real-time data exchange in the field all the way up to operational commander. So I think you're starting to see 
less PowerPoint, less talk, mm-hmm. and actually people experimenting, putting money in programs, moving out. Is there a long way to go? Absolutely. Do we still have data problems? 100%. We have total data jackassery out there right now. And so they have a lot of work to do to curate data in a meaningful way, to build ontologies that are role-based so that people know the data knows it's is aware and can, can get to where it needs to go to, so that people can make better decisions. Uh, that must be a Pentagon technical term, Danil, data jackassery, because <laughs> uh, that, that's yes. not a term I'm familiar with in the private sector. You said something <laughs> a moment ago that I think is interesting, especially in light of uh, the comments that Frank Kendall, the secretary of the Air Force, made at uh, the Reagan Forum this past weekend. He's talking very openly about using autonomous vehicles, uh, using drones that will fly alongside of of manned aircraft. And this is not conceptual anymore. This is happening. You said this is a great time to be in AI in the Defense Department if we get it right. What are the things that have to happen to get it right? And what are the potential things that could get it wrong? Well, to get it right, obviously, you need to be using the right information. So the right data and understanding your data environment. We still have a long way to go there. Okay, a lot of work to do. But automation can help us. AI can help us, right? Then you need to make sure that, again, with some of these AI ethical principles, you know, is the data responsible? Are you equitable? Are you using, for example, algorithms that are biased? Um, You know, we've kind of talked about that before, too. You know, whoever writes the algorithm can build in a bias unintentionally, and now your data are doing something that you really didn't want them to do, right? Now, over time, that can normalize as the data, you know, those decisions happen again and again through machine learning. You can kind of normalize that, but you want to make sure that's right. And, you know, we have to think, too, that a lot of what we're going to get is coming from commercial industry, and they have to be comfortable with the DOD that we're going to be ethical with how we're using our AI. Now, we've been very upfront that, you know, our, for example, our um, joint warfighting cloud capability, which is our follow on to the JEDI contract, you know, that is going to be used. We've been very upfront that that is a, uh, you know, for military administrative stuff, but also for combat. We intend to use the commercial cloud in our cloud environments to store the data that we would use to make combat decisions, including those that may be um, used by an autonomous vehicle for a drone strike or something. And so we have to ask ourselves, you know, do we have the right boundaries in place to reassure the American public that the AI to detect, um, like we use in Pathfinder now, we use um, a, a protocol Pathfinder, use AI to detect missile um, uh, incoming missiles or drones or things like that. But if we're going to use it in an offensive way, not a defensive way, you know, how are the American people going to be confident that, you know, that the decision made by that drone was actually more reliable than the decision made by a human? When would you cede that decision to somebody else? Because that provide that gives a lot of angst to commercial companies. As you know, Google in 2018 wrote off the DOD after Project Maven, which was a program that we were using um, to interpret video images um, that could be used for drone strikes, right? And so Google employees in the, in the thousands um, went crazy and said, I'm going to walk if you continue to do this. So Google walked away from that. But just recently, interestingly, they're back in this game and looking at how can they get back on that joint warfighting cloud capability contract potentially, which would be using all this AI for some of those functions we talked about. And so they're going to have to reconcile, for example, their Google policy, which prohibits their use of technology for weapons and surveillance and, 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 and all that with their desire for a new cloud contract. And I even heard they went to what was called a code yellow at Google, um, which is where they move engineers around to put them on a really important effort 
to go after this contract. So, so someone's really going to have to, you know, look at, okay, do we believe the DOD? Do we believe they're going to be ethical? Are they serious about this? Is it going to be used um, in a responsible way? And can we support that with our ethics of our business? So it'll be kind of interesting times ahead of there. A lot to chew on. You always give me a lot to think about, Danelle. Thanks for coming on today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Francis. I appreciate it. Have a great holiday. You can read more about artificial intelligence in the Defense Department in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, coming on Wednesday's show, an inside look at the biggest IT project at the Department of Veterans Affairs. One piece of its electronic health records program could use some improvement, according to the VA Office of Inspector General. You'll learn about that tomorrow. That Daily Scoop podcast debuts Wednesday afternoon at fedscoop.com and wherever you get your shows. The Office of Personnel Management will lean on the Technology Modernization Fund to shore up the agency's IT posture. The chief information officer of the agency is Guy Cavallo. He succeeded Claire Martirana when she became federal CIO. Guy, welcome. Thanks very much for coming on today. What are the key elements of the IT reform effort that you've taken over at OPM? Welcome. Uh, thank you, Francis. Uh, quite, a, quite a lot going on. Uh, I've been CIO now for about six months uh, after Claire uh, left on. Part of what we needed to do was rebuild our executive team uh, with so many changes. The you know the uh, the direction the directive on cybersecurity, uh, the new hybrid work world, uh, modernizing our legacy applications. So uh, I've got my teams firing 100 miles an hour across all cylinders right now. You were on a panel with me at uh, the ACT-IAC Executive Leadership Conference in Hershey a couple of weeks ago, and we talked there about the fact that your executive team looks different than the executive team looks at other agencies, is structured differently. And the example that came up in particular is the chief data officer at OPM, uh, Ted Kauk, came from USDA, where he reported to Gary Washington, the CIO, doesn't report to you here. Tell me about your executive team, what it looks like, and what that structure is in the C-suite. Oh, sure. We're with uh, OPM having so much incredible data about you know our federal employees and our retirees. Uh, having Ted on board has been great to have. Uh, we actually have a whole different organization outside of the CIO's office responsible for managing data. Uh, then my staff operates the data environment. So there's a very tight partnership there. So it kind of separated out the policy from the operations with that. Uh, obviously, that relationship has to be very, very tight to work uh, together. Uh, for example, you know, we picked uh, out of our Microsoft suite Power BI as our, our visualization tool because we already had it available for all users yet they still manage the data to do it. So we had to you know, do a quick partnership and uh, you know, build, uh, you know, a lot of the team is new. So there's a lot of new relationships being built. But you know, when we've looked at it in the past, the chief data officer can report to the agency head, uh, uh, the management board, the CIO, a data group like this, there doesn't seem to be any set formula. I think the critical part is you have to have the right players wherever they're reporting. They'll, they'll get it done uh, in the right collaboration. 
When I was on TV, I, I came to uh, the Small Business Administration and talked to you and Maria Rote, your uh, CIO at the time, and Sanjay Gupta, the CTO, still at SBA. And you all walked into a really, really difficult situation at SBA. You're coming into a better situation in the short term, but a situation where OPM struggled with uh, IT issues for a long, long time. How, do the, how does that kind of trajectory fit into the way that you and your colleagues are building an IT strategy for the long term at OPM Guy? Yeah, one thing, one thing that's really different about OPM from SBA is that everybody loves to study OPM. So there's all type of reports and recommendations out there. Uh, they're very consistent in that OPM systems are legacy, out of date. You know, they 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 don't meet the customer experience uh, requirements at all. Um, I don't need another study on that. I know all of that. Uh, what we've got to do is peel the onion and uh, looking at what's been done in the past with OPM modernization. I, I believe the mistakes that have been made is that uh, they tried to bite off too much in one in one setting. So what we're doing, Francis, that's differently is you know first of all doing it in an agile way, but uh, doing it in pieces at a time instead of trying to modernize everything in one big bang we're we're getting successes and and making significant impacts quickly uh, a great example is the retirement services uh, call center which when i got here was a legacy bubblegum and chewing gum strapped together uh, phone system that would constantly break would constantly hang up on people after they'd been on hold for a while um, you know definitely we had lots of valid complaints from the hill and, and from constituents that you know we can't even get through to opm uh, so we peeled that off and replaced it with a cloud-based call center that has the flexibility to be able to adjust and we went from over 20,000 busy signals a day to zero now. So, I um, mean, a big customer impact. But like I said, we didn't try to change the entire retirement services system in one big swell. We took care of, here's how our customers connect to us. Now we're working on individual applications within that so that we can make those changes and make those successes and, and keep going on the right path. In an environment of lots of needs, and limited resources, both person power and money to address those needs, Guy. How do you triage? How do you decide which are the ones to take on? Is it the size of the project or the potential impact or the cost to fit to budget or some combination of all of those things or something else? Uh, it's a combination of all of those things, again, with the uh, cyber executive order and then upcoming executive order on uh, customer experience, unless it's already been out this week. Um, we're looking at what are the biggest impacts we can do without having to tear the house down and build the foundation. Uh, so it is a juggling act, Francis, of um, I don't want to continue to invest in legacy platforms, yet I need to keep them running until we have a replacement available. So we're, we're looking at each one carefully. I, I uh, Something I've, I've been doing my uh, entire career now that I've been back in the federal government is I have a monthly project review and I have my entire team get together and re-review all the projects and make sure that everybody hears from me on down what the priorities are. So we automatically separate out our top 10 priorities projects each month. And those do change depending on 
what's going on. Um, but what I'm hearing from my team, uh, I know, first of all, it's a four to five hour meeting because we usually have about 90 simultaneous projects going on. So it's a big investment of time. But what I'm hearing from my teams is I didn't know we were doing this because you have one team so focused in one area and another team focused on another area. And it's accomplishing what I wanted to do and in increasing collaboration across my teams. Uh, th things like, uh, uh, you know, uh, two-factor authentication login. I don't need six different ways to do that. I need one. And, and yet the way we were structured, I could have ended up with six different approaches. So it's been very helpful with that. And I also share that deck with our, 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 with everybody at OPM so that they all know what we're working on. And then if an executive sees something that they thought was a priority, but maybe their staff gave it to us in a different way, uh, it helps us also do that communication. So it, it's a long day. I know everybody looks at that day and goes, oh my God, here comes the uh, project day. But um, it's been well worth the, the amount of intensity and effort that we put into it. The uh, you're in a unique spot when it comes to the office that you uh, occupy now, Guy, because your former boss at your last job is now the deputy chief information officer of the United States. And the person that you succeeded is now the chief information officer of the United States. Does that give you an advantage, do you think, as far as the rest of the community knowing what you're up against, sharing best practices and all of that? Uh, first of all, I think it shows that I know how to pick my bosses. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, what what uh, an incredible journey to to have been the deputy to both Maria and and Claire, and seeing how they think. And um, you know, definitely, it gives me um, I wouldn't say better access because they both are are very open to everybody. But I know how they think, and I can quickly get an idea to them. Um, that uh, uh, somebody else that's a CIO that didn't work that closely with them may not be sure of the right approach with it. So it's a great, uh, great partnership. They're both very open to suggestions from me and also from the other CIOs. But uh, yeah, it was fun being the man behind the, the women for the last uh, four and a half years or so. In addition to the 90-some projects that you referenced a moment ago that you have going at any given time, you've got uh, compliance with the Cybersecurity Executive Order, you've got the Data Act, you've got FITAR and a number of FISMA and a number of other um, pieces of legislation that you are complying with. What's that balance like in, on the one hand, making sure that you're complying with all the things that you need to comply with and that uh, on the other side of that, that you're actually doing the things that you need to do to advance the business of the agency? Or are those things, I guess I'm framing it like those are at cross purposes and maybe I'm overstating it a bit. Um, no, I, th I think every agency struggles with that, with that Francis, uh, yeah, do you want to do the check marks and knock off all of your audit findings yet have a horrible customer experience that citizens or federal employees can't use your systems, but at least you have a clean audit finding or do you come up with the middle balance with that? Um, what I do is put resources then into every area. So I greatly enhanced my um, and expanded my audit team here because we were struggling with that over the last few years. Yet we're also modernizing cyber to the cloud, our applications to the cloud. I already highlighted what we've done with the call center. So it, it's really um, 
I said, out of out of the group of projects, it's working with the executive team, working with our director, and making sure that we're hitting her priorities. Um, and then it, it's just a question of when can we get to everything. I mean, um, like I said, those studies that are out there have been pretty um, honest that OPM is way behind on its legacy systems and needs to really rebuild everything. Uh, but we're we're looking at doing that, like I said, in a structured uh, agile way, but but with very intense thought into how do we do it? What can we what can we change the most? When I when I got here, the uh, the experience of people of retirees calling our call center was definitely brought right to my face very quickly when I saw that call center collapse and and we started getting calls from the hill, uh, which we should. So, you know. That one wasn't recoding anything as much as replacing the technology, rebuilding the applications and, you know, moving to two-factor authentication for everything and digital signatures. That, that's where we're having to take the legacy uh, uh, legacy code and, and see if we can do a quick fix to it while we're replatforming or rewriting it. Or is it something that we're going to have to just rebuild it and not make the investment in the short term in the legacy legacy stuff? There's plenty for us to do, Francis, I can tell you that. Guy Cavallo, the Chief Information Officer at OPM. It's great to talk to you, my friend. Thanks for coming on today. All right. Thanks for having me today. You can read more about OPM's IT priorities in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you've already rated the show on your platform of choice, thanks for doing that. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people find it. The Daily Scoop Podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps me put the show together and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes a deep dive into the ehr program at va on tomorrow's show until then i'm the host of the daily scoop podcast francis rose thanks for listening